on today's show. As it comes back to the podcasting, the I, I recorded eight episodes and I was in my first role out of school in financial services and naively uh, you know, applied to do an outside business activity because in the world of finance, there's a lot of regulations. They want to make sure that you're not Bernie Madoffing people. And they said, you know, no, you can't actually talk to people um, on your own podcast. Hmm. We'll reconsider this in three years. Whoa, um, so really? That was, yeah, the, that was so, the message you got. Three years. And you'd recorded eight episodes at this point. So you sent them to those eight episodes? No, 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 no. Okay. I did not let them know that I had recorded those yet because <laughs> I was expecting to get approved. But they said, they didn't say you can do it in three years. They said, we will reconsider in three years. And trust me, I know that's exactly what they said because it's like seared into my memory. Yeah. Um, I walked out to the parking lot, sat in my car, screamed as loud as I possibly could. Five, four, Thanks so much for joining me today. We're going to talk to Aaron Watson, who is is really just a force of nature in a lot of ways. Um, and it's one of the more inspiring conversations, I think in particular, just to sort of see how it can be frustrating. It can be frustrating to be doing the normal thing and sort of put your toe in the water to try and create something like Aaron did when he said to his boss, hey, I've got this podcast. And in fact, he was told no. <laughs> and I think that conversation with his boss sort of changed his entire trajectory. And he did wind up going on to quit to launch a podcast and has since turned it into an entire uh, sort of portfolio with Piper Creative and a conference and all those sorts of things. And I think for a 23-year-old to be in that place where he felt stuck and to see how he could unstuck himself through the power of, of creating and learning is, is great. And in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about the idea of just Starting. He's now hundreds of episodes into his podcast, but we talk about that first episode and, and why it wasn't some gigantic, massive success, but it got him better and it keeps getting him better every day. Uh, it's a fun conversation that I really did enjoy. And I think Aaron's someone that all of us, as we think about creating, can learn from. And I, I also found it funny when I talked to him a little bit about what he's going to create next, as you can hear in the library edition, where he basically said, listen, I've got to a point where I had to set my next set of goals because I could get in this place of creating new things all the time. So once I I hit certain goals for the company, well, then my team is going to let me create something next. Uh, Aaron Watson, everyone, a fun conversation with a fun guy, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. All right, Aaron Watson on the horn, my friend. I am... Uh I'm glad to get to hang out, and I, you know, I was I was laughing to myself. This uh, this started with a a LinkedIn video of yours that I saw, and a text message to follow saying how much I liked it. And next thing you know, you and I are scheduling time to talk on the pod. So awesome to uh, get to hang out today. It's my pleasure. It's an honor to be speaking with you, Eric. God, honor! Wow, this is going to be like really, really exciting. Then, if it's an honor, you just don't know what you're getting yourself into. Then <laughs> I'm ready to bring the noise. Let's go. That's right. That's right. So how? So uh, so. How is life? You know, you were you and I were just talking beforehand, but it sounds like you're sort of in this like uh, crazy frenetic place. Tell me, uh, kind of like, what does the day look like for you right now? Uh, just to sort of like boot everyone up on what is the life of Aaron Watson? By the way, when people Google you, there's also you know, do you ever get mistaken? There's for, a country yeah, singer, country yeah, singer. man, yeah. So I thought I was like, man, Aaron really is multi-talented, but you're not a country singer, I guess. It's no. not the same person. 
So funny story about that. I, I uh, spoke to a small marketing mastermind group yesterday and the one woman confessed that she got really excited when she saw who the speaker was going to be. <laughs> and then when she found out that I was not the country singer, uh, there was a degree of disappointment there. So uh, hopefully no one you know, clicked onto this podcast hoping to hear from the country singer, but uh, sorry, to, sorry oh, to disappoint everyone. I'm, I'm going to tell people this one. Uh, if, country, <laughs> if you like country, this is the episode to turn it, tune into. Yeah. And the absolute best part of that before I'll, I'll get into answering the question of the day to day, but uh, occasionally people will tag me on Twitter uh, thinking they'll be like headed to the Aaron Watson concert and they'll tag my, um, my uh, Twitter handle. <laughs> and that's just some of the funnest, like low level, you know, low, no, no like harm done trolling of just like, love my fans, country music till I die. But it's obviously not me. That's we have some fun there, but you um, should get it. You might, you might want to get am, into country music though, just as like a, to be like the, the, uh, all, the other Aaron Watson now, you like just to be like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely some parody uh, satire opportunity there for sure that we could dig into. But uh, basically um, I'm someone that wears a lot of hats. It's, it's kind of hard to really pick pin down. Uh, in basic form, I am the CEO and co-founder of a company called Piper Creative. Uh, Piper Creative is an agency that helps uh, firms, companies, personal brands develop and basically serve as the creative infrastructure behind their own content creation mechanism. So what that means is we have clients who will produce podcasts. We don't act as the host. We don't dictate what they're going to talk about or what guests they're going to have on. But what we do provide is at the end of the conversation, they drop a raw audio file into a cloud folder and out pops a podcast mm. a week later with well-written show notes, um, you know, solid editing, all that good stuff that makes it actually sound like a professional thing, which is really, unfortunately, you know, anywhere from 50 to 75% of the creative pro process, which is this kind of grinding mechanical process that I've learned from my own show, Going Deep with Aaron Watson, that has actually just released our 350th episode. So I'm self-taught. Wow, that that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two a week for the last three years. So it's been a been an absolute grind, but uh, amazing learning experience. And from those reps, I now have a really coherent framework around how to edit a podcast, where to distribute it, how to think about recording your intro, how to um, just all the kind of like basic stuff that I, I learned because you can go back, Eric, and listen to episode two where I was the most mechanical, uh, poorly spoken communicator interviewer maybe in the history of shows. But now I am just in a completely different skill set because I have all those reps under my belt and I've listened to my own voice for hours on end, which in addition to being um, a really spectacular exercise in narcissism is, <laughs> is a really powerful tool to improve your communication skills. Right. Um, you know, I have a good friend here in Pittsburgh who is an absolute dynamo at, uh, she helps clients run Kickstarter campaigns and they just blow their campaigns out of the water every time they work with her. And, you know, we, we talk about like, well, how, like, I don't get it, Aaron. Like, why are you so good at this? Like, it's only because of reps. It's only because of putting your head down and just grinding for three years, 350 episodes that I've started to, you know, develop a modicum of, uh, professionalism and skill there. So right. that's the type of thing that we translate into giving our clients and really the kind of underlying model of Piper in that theme of, uh, you know, 
creativity and creation events like you are um, so good at educating people on, Eric, is basically Piper internally with our own media has what we call the lab. And that's our podcast. That's our vlog. That's our LinkedIn videos. That's our own internal facing content. And it can range a spectrum from, you know, I've done interviews with CEOs of an artificial intelligence firm that spun out of Carnegie Mellon University that is making streetlights faster and more efficient with sensors and AI, reducing traffic by 20 to 40%. Like, how do you sell into a local government this type of technology product? Mm -hmm. Very high, acidic, like intellectual type of stuff. Right. And then a couple weeks ago on YouTube, we released a video that's like a mockumentary, almost like the the office style, (laughs) where Um, My co-founder, Hannah, who's been playing tennis her entire life, plays two-on-one against me and one of our interns who've like (laughs) barely ever even held a tennis racket. And, you know, being able to go like high-low and experiment with all these different um, styles of media is really what gives us our edge because we have the permission to kind of go all over the place and have some fun with it and not really stress too much about the individual consequences of a single thing that we create. Yeah. So I want to, that's a, it's an interesting thing, right? And I think this idea of the concept of a lab, I, I think what I, I like for a couple of reasons, but I think one of the biggest reasons is I think, frankly, anyone who thinks that they have learned something yet is always in the lab, right? Like, I mean, like, you know, like you said, 350 and you're still learning sort of stuff. So take, I'd like to go back then to like the, the, just the time before you decided to go for it. Cause obviously the podcast has changed you in a lot of different ways, right? I mean, you've interviewed some amazing people, you've gotten more reps in it. Tell me though about that time before you're like, maybe I should do a podcast. Because three years ago, it was still kind of like an emerging medium. Now it's something that's like much more sort of people know what they are. But tell me the decision process to say, I think I'm going to do this podcast thing. Yeah, without a doubt, it is not, um, it, it, it's done a lot to change me personally. And mm-hmm. even the decision to start, um, the idea came from my girlfriend asking me in her eternal wisdom, what would you do if money was no object? Mm. And I gave the answer, oh, I'd host my own podcast. And I kind of revealed myself to myself in giving that answer, if that makes any right. sense, where yeah, I didn't even know that I felt that way. Um, but, you know, looked into and that's what, what I do basically every single day with people is like with this concept of creation event is let's just like not worry about like whether it's real or not. What would you do? And then when people say things out loud, you know, there's an interesting study that came out said that if you write down your goals, you're 80% more likely to achieve that goal. Oh, yeah. 80%. So you saying it out loud is, you know, maybe not 80%, but whatever it is, just that process there, it makes you much more likely to do it. So so kudos wisdom to your girlfriend right there. Yeah, she's she's amazing. And um, to that point of writing out the goals, I'm kind of, we're kind of jumping all over the place, but you're you're hitting me with so many good ideas. Uh, one of my previous guests, <laughs> Anthony Venari of Fit, uh, a company that he started with his brother, you know, confided in me. He was just actually named Forbes 30 under 30. I know that that's another thing that um, you're you're very mindful of and, and, and have as a target for some of your students. He said it freaked him out because he wrote out a vision board of like all the goals that he wanted to accomplish. And then he more or less accomplished all of them and mm. it freaked him out for the opposite direction because so many people, they start something and they're freaked out to get into it or to like really push their chips in because they're like, what if I fail? Yep. But think about like the exact opposite of that, like where you wrote something down and you accomplished every single thing on the list and what that does to your brain when you say well well like what can i act like if if i can write something and make it happen like i can write almost anything like it it just it completely reframes the way you think about the world and mm-hmm. i'm in the process of working through um uh my second vision board right now and it is proving to be very effective and you kind of start off with what you know in hindsight seem like you know 
average to smaller goals, but when you're starting it off, you're like, this is so big, this would be so amazing to, to accomplish. Um, it really reframes everything. I didn't have that when I started off. I had the idea, I had it jossing around. And my kind of um, mental model for getting into a new endeavor is um, I, I kind of wait, ponder, consider, consider. And then once I push my chips in, there's no like 80% Aaron Watson. I, I think you could safely say friends, family, colleagues, acquaintances, they they don't really have a lot of an experience of an 80% Aaron Watson. <laughs> they basically have 100% or 0%. And that's not good too. Like there's times where I'm just kind of like tuned out because this is not like in my core, in my focus. Like I'm not you know, I'm not super engaged with the fantasy football teams. Like you've brought it up. I can't even pretend to like, frankly, politely be into your talk about fantasy football teams. I'm just going to tell you straight up, like, I don't care about this. I'd really prefer not to talk about it. And that can obviously like rub people the wrong way. Although when you fairness, have something that you're really pursuing you. rapidly. I saw a picture of you on your website of you rocking like, what is it? Like eye black while you're doing fantasy, while you're playing um, ultimate Frisbee. So Let's be honest, this guy who's not a country music star though, he gets he can get into shit. He can get intense. Oh, absolutely. I, I won two national championships at the University of Pittsburgh playing Ultimate Frisbee. But that once again speaks to that like hundred percent yep. taking Ultimate Frisbee way more seriously than just about everyone else. There's mm-hmm. there's definitely some aspect of my personality that is there. Um, but as it comes back to the podcasting, the I, I recorded eight episodes and I was in my first role out of school in financial services and naively uh, you know, applied to do an outside business activity because in the world of finance, there's a lot of regulations. They want to make sure that you're not Bernie Madoffing people. And they said, you know, no, you can't actually talk to people um, on your own podcast. Hmm. We'll reconsider this in three years. Whoa, um, so really? That was, yeah, the, that was so, the message you got. Three years. And you'd recorded eight episodes at this point, so you sent them to those eight episodes? No, 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 okay. no. I did not let them know that I had recorded those <laughs> yet because I was expecting to get approved. But they said, they didn't say you can do it in three years. They said, we will reconsider in three years. And trust me, I know that's exactly what they said because it's like seared into my memory. Yeah. Um, I walked out to the parking lot, sat in my car, screamed as loud as I possibly could. Um, then instead of just storming in and like, I don't know, flipping people off or something. I took the weekend to like calm down, you know, be as professional and chill as I possibly could for someone who's 23 years old and handed in my two weeks notice the next week because the whole kind of premise, the whole idea that had been bouncing around my head is to do something on my own, to follow my gut, to follow my instinct, to have the freedom to, you know, run experiments effectively right. and try things out. Yeah. And so really you know, the, the other aspect of that is I didn't push publish that next week. Mm-hmm. I still sat on the episodes for, I think it was like four to five weeks. Really? And there's a, there's a, there's a multiple psychological factors with that. One is I was consuming podcasts all the time, like two to three hours per day. Uh, Barry Ritholtz, Tropical MBA, Joe Rogan, um, other Bill Simmons, a bunch of other names that would be very familiar to people that are into podcasts. Those are some of the bigger ones. And I knew how good those were. And what started me down the path was there were times where I'd say, you know, I kind of wish they would have asked this question. I was actually curious about that and they didn't touch on it. Or I wonder why they don't have more people like this or like that. Like, why can't I find, you know, I was into Ultimate Frisbee. Why can't I find a podcast with all the owners of the Ultimate Frisbee team, the professional Ultimate Frisbee teams in the AUDL? Um, And so the podcast was in many ways like solving for that vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum. I was ready to fill it. And the sitting on that content was 
partially, you know, I know I'm going to, you know, receive feedback or judgment positively or negatively mm-hmm. upon doing this. Um, there's plenty of people who don't like change. They don't like, you know, seeing someone just reroute or change their path to some degree. And then even further, I knew that I wasn't as good as those shows. I knew that I wasn't as good of a host. I knew that my editing wasn't as good. I knew that I was making mistakes, but I couldn't just like, oh, well, this, this, and this is wrong. So let me like snap my fingers and fix it. You know, any skill building process is a process of many, many iterations as opposed to a process of flipping a switch one time and the light bulb just coming on. So there was a, there was a, a do we have sitting on that? But then what you start to realize as you create more content, as you take more risks, Piper mm-hmm. was a bigger risk than the podcast. The podcast was a bigger risk than choosing to play Ultimate Frisbee, um, even in high school, instead of some of the, sc- the sports that I'd been playing that were like supported by the school and weren't like a club sport that was associated with hippies and stoners and other things like that. So um, with all of those, what you start to realize is that when it comes to risk, we are just so confused as a culture, as a society about like what risk actually is and what risk is worth being worried about. Um, and there's so many small things where, you know, um, you know, riding a motorcycle without a helmet at 75, 80 miles per hour, that's a pretty dumb risk because one mistake, one fall, one, you know, bad uh, roll of the dice. And that could be it. That could be the end of you. But something like, you know, trying a new format or being silly in a video where we're playing tennis and getting, you know, beaten in two on one or any of these other things that really, if you take the time to just actually write out the pros and cons, write out the like worst case scenario associated with some of these environments, just are nowhere near as bad as they get built up in your mind. And really the result of that, so for example, like you think, well, I'm going to release this podcast and everyone's going to hate it. It's going to be so bad and so offensive that I'm, you know, everyone just hates me. And th- and that's that's tied to a deep-seated biological truth, which is for most of human history, if you were ostracized from your group, you were dead. We are we are animals that live in tribes. We are animals that are deeply, deeply reliant on our social fabric and our social network. And if you lose that, we don't actually have the means to survive in the way that like a single bear can in the wild because they've got claws and fur and all that other good stuff. So we need that collaboration. We need that to work together. So it makes sense that we would fear that. But where we get it twisted is it's actually really hard to do that. Like there's a reason that there's what, 7 billion of us now? I don't even know. There's so many. There's a reason we keep hanging around is because it's actually really hard to do that and even if you might have a different taste, even if you might have a different um, focus or niche or interest, like Ultimate Frisbee, I found my tribe. There are people who I could, not that this is the goal, but like they would give me like a, I could sleep on their floor during a tournament in Seattle or in San Francisco or in the middle of Nebraska just because of our common bonds around Ultimate Frisbee. I had a... Um, I had a tournament where it's like a fun tournament in central Ohio. And I had a Friday night semi-pro game with the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds. And hmm. three guys from the Chicago team that we were playing for the AUDL were going to that tournament the next night. I rode in a car with them to that tournament. I fell asleep in the back. Like, you know, all the like scary media narratives of like what could have happened to you were so bad, but like you actually had a tribe because of that. And that's, you know, we're getting a little micro here in terms of the example, but it really speaks to this 
misunderstanding of downside risk and misunderstanding of the things that are actually going to hurt us in the long run. Right. Like, I think there's a huge, huge risk to not having a lab to experiment and have fun with. Mm-hmm. I, I see friends now, you know, I'm, I'm four years out of school, um, maybe five, time is getting away from me, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I, have, I have these friends who are not in a similar state or down a similar path of, you know, I'm going to be really creative and I'm so excited about what the next year can bring. And I'm, you know, following my nose and following my gut as opposed to a path that has been predetermined or predescribed to me. And I'm just kind of checking the boxes that someone else created. And you can just see, not in like a profound way, it's not like extinguishing a candle, but you can see the flames of creativity and excitement and belief and faith start to flicker a little bit. That's just like... That that scares me way more than me putting out a video where I look like a doofus or I have a pimple on my face or something like that. Like, the, like all those things seem so small in comparison. And it's, you know, part of the principle that Piper, my company, is founded on is giving that latitude for not just me, not just Hannah, but everyone who comes into our organization, the latitude to have that opportunity to run the experiments and to be creative. You know, it's a funny thing. And I think, you know, part of this whole conversation for you and I kicked off with you sort of like, you were sort of lecturing, you know, Professor, Professor Watson style uh, to people about this concept of the downside. And I think what was interesting about it, and I'd love maybe if you to wrap on it a bit, is the premise that you sort of say is that, that people are so busy in some ways that they don't care about you that much. Like they don't, you don't care about that you as much. And, and there's this premise, I think that, that then the research talks about where we sort of have this, it's called egocentrism, where we have a hard time re- realizing that we would react a certain way and projecting that reaction on other people. So for example, like, oh yeah, if like someone did some dumb video, we could say, I wouldn't care. But then when you say like, well, if I did a dumb video, I would care. We, it's a, this, this premise that we have a hard time projecting how we would feel, how other people would feel that way. So tell me a little bit about that because like you're going and doing this podcast. Here you are, like you're sort of, you know, going to launch this thing. How is the doubt going through your head a little bit and what did prevent you from sort of, you know, pushing play right away? And what, what made you finally push go uh, four weeks after sort of sitting on it and having your company tell you no? Yeah, so there's definitely like it's it's very easy to get worried about that aspect of what other people will think. I was lucky to have two things that ended up leading me to push play. Uh, the one is a very good friend named Adam Harridan, who is um, one of the biggest naturalists and forager in North America. He can go out and identify any mushroom, tell you its Latin name, tell you its nutritional benefits, how it was used in ancient cultures. And he had been just kind of a couple of steps further along the journey in producing content, blog posts, videos than I was. It's just like, when are you going to actually do this? Like you've been saying you're going to do it for four weeks now, like Hmm. WTF mate. And I had already decided that like I had to do it the next week, but that was like the last kind of nail in the coffin. And the other aspect of it was just kind of getting over that aspect of like, it's simultaneously super humbling and super freeing, which is that you are not particularly special. You do not mm-hmm. matter to a particularly profound degree. But in that lack of significance in other people's lives, that is actually what frees you up to go run the experiments and to be different. Because you know, if, if everyone was hyper-scrutinizing every other person's action, there just wouldn't be enough time in the day. But I mean, it, nothing would get done. It, it, it is in the fact that there's so many blind spots, there's so many inefficiencies, there's so many 
uh, private moments where that experimentation can happen that mm. is going to lead to all the excitement. So there's there's a little bit of like looking back on it and trying to kind of post hoc rationalize where the psychology was. But, you know, the other side of it is there's like, I was also blessed to have a mom who was like super, you can do anything you can put your mind to. <laughs> and I had won two national championships. So like, and been the captain of the team. So I had this like high degree of efficacy um, that was, you know, you have to find that in yourself. I, I think anyone can find that. I think there's a pathway to anyone doing that, but it's not always going to be the same. I was genuinely very lucky to have those two kind of like underlying, I don't know, like fire in the belly aspects of like, I can figure this out. Like I can make this happen. It just, you know, some people, I, there's really people I'm in Facebook groups that are like the podcasting hangout group or something like that. And there's people like, so I've been sitting on this idea for a year <laughs> and a half. And like, yeah, I, I don't say it in this way to like disparage them because it's just, you know, they, they have a different kind of concoction or equation of self-efficacy and self-belief to doubt or people in their lives that say something negative to them. And it's just like, dude, like, you know, you're the only one counting. You're the only one counting that amount of time. You're the only one who's even, you know, engaging with that idea. It's in pressing publish that you start to differentiate yourself and also start to get feedback. Like what, like I knew that some certain things were wrong with those initial episodes. I didn't actually know everything that was wrong. There was, there's was a sense of like, this isn't quite right, but you don't know every single thing. And then I had someone tell me like after the eighth episode, it was like, you know, that like one channel is just way that like the, the intro audio that you record. And then like the interview audio that you record is just not at all level right like you realize that and I was like, <laughs> no <laughs> crap but i fixed it since then mm -hmm. you know like there's there's all those subtle adjustments and subtle tweaks and iterations that you do that allow you to be really effective in the end and i mean that's the price everyone is paid to be exceptionally talented at anything mm -hmm. and i want to so i want to push on this other piece of this a bit is that you know you're when you start this podcast three years ago you're you know a year out of school and uh you know, everyone sort of early in their career has told you, you got a network, you got to build your network, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you, in, in a lot of ways, what's been interesting when you observe from the outside is you've built a pretty badass network, to be honest, for someone who's, you know, in their, their, their mid twenties mm -hmm. from the podcast. So talk to me a little bit about, cause I, I hear this sort of concern of people is like, well, how in the world am I going to get, you know, these really great people to ever want to talk to me? Uh, what has that been like for you? And how have you gotten over that sort of self-doubt, that little voice in the back of your mind that no one's going to want to talk to the non-country star Aaron Watson? <laughs> yeah, so um, I have a little bit of basic sales training. And when I was previously in financial services, like you're selling financial products to frankly, plenty of people that don't really want it, aren't really interested selling someone on, Hey, let me like, would you like to talk about yourself for 30 minutes and then have it distributed to a new audience of people? Like that's a much easier thing to pitch than a lot of the other product, uh, products that are just out there. And there's a, I mean, there's a multitude of factors of getting these different characters to interact with you. Um, you know, there's all sorts of breakthroughs that I've had. I had one of the biggest finance bloggers in the world, Barry Ritholtz, um, on my show. I had the mayor of Pittsburgh. I recorded live with him in his office in the middle of, middle of the city. And a lot of this was just, you know, taking, like stepping off the plate and taking swings. I don't, I don't bat 350 for 350 in getting people on my show. The ratio is probably more like 1500 to 350 uh, for all the people that have just never even answered or politely declined or said not now. And, you know, it's in that 
discovery, like I've, I'm much better at getting people on my show now for a multitude of reasons. I have the back catalog. I have the, you know, the statistics, hundreds of thousands of people downloading the show, all these episodes. I can cite specific examples. So um, I got Trent Griffin who wrote a really good book about entrepreneurship. He has a blog called 25 IQ and he uh, is, you know, friends with the Gates family early on in Microsoft and uh, that whole community in Seattle. And uh, I was able to go onto Twitter, see the whatever, f- call it 700 people that he follows. That's a rough estimate and pick out three of the people that he follows on Twitter that I've previously had on my podcast. Cause I had over 200 episodes at the time. And then in the invitation, in the message, say, by the way, I've had Morgan Housel, Barry Ritholtz, and you know, Person X, uh, Andy Ratcliffe uh, from Wealthfront on my show to you know, talk for a half hour. Would you be willing to do the same and talk about your book? He's in a point in his um, career arc where he's looking to get his name out there because he has a new book to sell. So it kind of all lines up. And those are like the subtle things that you start to piece apart and understand as you try and get more and more people on the show, how do you um, indicate that you're legit, that you're not, uh, you know, just going to be a waste of their time and and not share their story with anyone of significance? How do you signal that you have some fluency in their domain of expertise? Oh, I've interviewed these four people that are kind of like you, kind of have a similar uh, bent that you might already respect for whatever reason. Um, it's not going to be a waste of your time. I say right at the end, this is not going to take more than an hour of your time. We'll be in and out. We'll be super efficient. Um, all, all these all these subtle ways, knowing that he had the book, so it was like a, a perfect time to get on his radar for the show um, because he would be more open to that type of media appearance. All those things kind of are this blend that is is hard to piece apart away from experience. You know, listening to an episode like this, like I'm sure your students are doing, is is a taste, is a piece of it. But you just get better and better at it the more you rep it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny. It's it's. I think perhaps the thing that I think is the the best part of all of this, going back to the sort of we overestimate the downside, is uh, you know. 1500 and you get 350. Now, what a lot of people will think about is like, well, what if they say no? Well, it turns out that most people don't actually even say no. They just say like nothing or they say not right now or, but no one posts on a, you know, I mean, guessing of those, we'll call it the, you know, the 1500, you know, whatever it is of the 1200 that sort of haven't been on your show. Uh, how many of those have gone on Twitter and ranted against you or trolled you or those sorts of things? Uh, I, I literally don't know if any of them have. No, no, nothing is popping out right now. Yeah, right. But I, I think it's, you know, and even if they had one of whatever 1200 knows, it's funny that I think just going back to your, and again, I think it's, I just think it's, it's an important thing that people don't think about is that you and your mind make the downside to be way worse than it ever actually is. You know, if you would have met the Aaron Watson of four years ago, I'm guessing that you would have been more nervous about these sort of, no, I don't want to do this or no, no thank yous 100%. than you are today. I mean, today you're those like, just learning. It's just natural, right? But it's funny that we we do fix it. It's, it is actually a real thing that's called egocentrism, that we have a really hard time putting ourselves in the shoes of how others would react to us. And we don't treat those things the same. There was a funny little study that was, uh, that I think... Uh, I referenced before to some people about, have you heard of this called the cell phone study where what they did as a researcher went to uh, undergraduates and said to them, um, did this for this little study, I want you to go into this sort of busy part of Boston and go out there and ask people to borrow their cell phone to make a one minute call back to the college laboratory and ask people before they did that one, how many times, how many people do you think you're going to have to talk to in order to get three of them to say yes and let you do a one minute call? So any guesses about what the average number of people guessed that they would need to do that they would ask? 
Um, I'd guess that they guessed high, so 30. A little less than that. They guessed about like like 13 or 14 is what they thought it would take, I think is what they okay. said. So maybe, anyway, whatever it was, something like that one. But then it, it only actually took them five, <laughs> like about yeah. like six people. So like, it, like we just have a hard time because what you think about is then if you just ask the question the other way around. So if you would have asked the question to people to say, listen, how many, if someone asked you to be on their podcast or if someone asked you to borrow your cell phone, would you say yes? And you're like, yeah, unless they look super sketchy, I'm sure I would. But that like that premise there of that thing of like getting in our own way is a really big thing. And you know, you looking at yourself now, you've been able to accomplish, you know, like you said, things that you wouldn't have dreamed of when you were, you know, th- four years ago. As a result of sort of those first emails, those first asks, now it's easy to do, right? It's no big deal. But it's a funny thing that we get in our own way a lot. One hundred percent. And I also think there's value. I, I love the point of just getting really in touch with like what the actual base rates are mm-hmm. of these type of decisions and how you can kind of skew that with your own psychological head trash. But even in terms of embracing the negative side of, you know, being really excited to have someone on your podcast and them saying no or not getting back to you, um, that's still a win. Like, like all of it can be a win if you have the right psychological setup. And this is just another thing that I've had to evolve on. Um, but I recently, episode 336 of my podcast is with a guy named Ian Rosenberger. Ian was on Survivor way back in the day. He now has a company called Thread International that takes garbage in Haiti, where the earthquake was, and turns it into not just fabric, but uh, they have backpacks and they're going to have a whole line of um, cool stuff coming up in 2019. I asked him to be on my podcast after episode 12. I interviewed one of the VCs <laughs> who's invested in his company. Episode 12, Eric. I was following up and they said, you know, no, not right now. He's too busy. Then it was like a year later. Oh no, like, do you want to talk to someone else in the organization? No, I want to talk to Ian. This is his brainchild. This is his vision. I need to talk to this guy. I finally got on the show and it's one of my most listened to episodes because that was part of the way I sold it to my audience Mm -hmm. and to the people like the peripheral people who don't listen to every podcast because they're busy. I told them this is one that really means something to me. And the opening question of the conversation was, hey, Ian, uh, I tried to get you on this podcast more than two and a half years ago. I've followed up every you know six, eight, ten months or whatever, and it is one of like just sitting here in this beautiful office with these beautiful pictures that Hannah's taking is one of the you know in in my short professional career one of my favorite accomplishments to even sit down with you and have this conversation. Right. You tell me about a time you've had to be professionally persistent. Mm-hmm. And immediately, like one of the things you're trying to do as an interviewer is immediately get somewhere deep, get somewhere meaningful. Don't just kind of brush over the superficial and, and really take a conversation to an interesting place. We got there on the first question. Right. And I couldn't have gotten there on the first question two and a half years ago. I wasn't, I wasn't skilled enough as an interviewer. I didn't know enough about the Pittsburgh scene and VC and all these other aspects that, that make this tremendously interesting company and entrepreneur, uh, what he is today. And, you know, it was a massive win that I got to ask that question at the beginning. So yeah. it's, it's reframing everything to, there's a positive light to it. There is, there's, there's a, a, a silver lining at the very least, to all of these, uh, recent developments. And I, and I'll, I'll put, I want to push on that one more. I sort of, the other sort of pushback that I hear from people who are nervous about doing a podcast or a video show is, well, you know, I don't want this to be permanently out there and reflect poorly on me. So to get sort of like, again, tactical, how many times have you ever, or how many times have you had to pull down an episode 
after the fact because you got negative feedback on it or whatever those things, right? As you said at the start, you're no Joe Rogan, you're learning these sorts of things. But look back on it. Is there things that you've had to 350 episodes in, you look back on them now and someone has said to you, hey, you got to take this down or that you've been so embarrassed by that you've taken it down? So there's one, but I'll, I'll, and I'll talk about that in a second, but yeah. the bad ones actually help me with what I'm doing now with Piper in that I can hold up, you know, one of my first episodes versus the recent one with Ian or one of my other ones that's uh, much, much better. And I can put that to a potential client and say, listen to the one, listen to the other. Mm -hmm. Do you want to work with the guy who produced this one, episode 336, or do you want to <laughs> try to figure it out and sound like episode two? Right. That's your choice. Right. That's what I'm offering. That's, that's, there's my value that's right gross. there. If you can't see it, growth. You exactly. can actually you can have a portfolio of growth. And that's the thing I think that that people get really, really nervous about is like, well, you know, this is going to hold me back. Like I'm gonna and it's like, no, it just shows you that you grew, right? Like you can demonstrate it. I love that story. That's an awesome story. Precisely. So um there's one episode that I've taken down and it honestly it it, it does have to do with me. I take self-responsibility for it, but it is not for maybe the exact reason that we were kind of pointing at. And this was actually later on, you know, in, in uh, the late 200s of episodes. And um, the person that I had on was recommended by kind of like an acquaintance, given that I'd done a series of interviews with folks in the blockchain and crypto space. And I had the interview and like, not very consciously, like closer to the subconscious, like kind of under the under the surface, something was off. Something was like, oh, this is this was that was weird. That was different than like all the other ones. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what it was, but it was weird. And I got someone someone filled out the contact form on my website a few weeks after the episode went up, and basically explained like we got on a call and I talked to him for more than an hour. And he basically explained how like this guy has defrauded a large number of people. He is not a, oh, wow. a good person. He is not ethical. And there's like s several aspects of this conversation where he's just straight up lying to you. Hmm. And, um, you know, I just thought you should know that because the, the guy didn't say it like in any way coming at me. He was like, please don't go into business with this guy as, as a, as a, as a decent human being, I'm coming hmm. to you just saying like, don't, it's a bad idea. Right. And so um, there were like some maybe breadcrumbs of that happening that, that were obviously cut off, but that wasn't really going in that direction. But that's the only one that I've ever taken down. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's, it's the type of thing where like legally, I don't know if like saying the name and like, like how much of that is, uh, is substantiated or not, but to better to wash my hands, I backed away from that. But uh, outside of that, you know, like it's, it's all, it's all a learning process. I, there, mm -hmm. there are episodes that are good. There are episodes that are bad. There's ones where I put my foot in my mouth and like the <laughs> guest corrects me. And there's ones where I'm dropping knowledge bombs and like coaching up the guest as we go, because, you know, maybe they don't have as fully formed of a philosophy on what they're doing as, as could be. And I mean, that's all par for the course. It's all just, you know, I, I I'm a believer that, it, you know, we kind of set this belief of, you know, needing to be perfect. And like people say like, well, social media is all about PRing yourself. And we're so worried about every single thing that we put out. It's like, you know, I'm happy to put out the silly and the mistakes and the other kind of more human element of who it is that I am, because I mean, that's, what's going to make people trust me in the long run. Right. It's not going to be promising the moon and, you know, suggesting or selling perfection. It's going to be like, look, I'm, above average at a few things and <laughs> I think I can help you here and let's, you know, let's go for a ride. 
So the other thing that I love about one of the questions that I get a lot is, you know, you obviously had your creation event from the podcast. And we talked about that when we very first met, that this was a kind of your lateral inflection point, which is kind of what these creation event concepts are. And then one of the things that happened from that is it leads to these sort of next creation events. And for you, the podcast sort of has led into this going deep summit. Tell me a little bit about how that has happened. Kind of in some ways, is this now kind of the second type of creation event where you're doing this sort of event uh, conference sort of style. How did those that kind of lead from the podcast? Yeah. So uh, January 2018, I hosted my first event called the Going Deep Summit. And in the preceding two years, I'd been to events like Next Gen Summit, South by Southwest, Advertising Week in New York, uh, DLD. Uh, it's like Digital Life Design, something like that. Um, and a couple other events and started to in, in the same way that like the first time you talk to an entrepreneur or the first time I talked to like a venture capitalist, I didn't know, I didn't know what venture capital was. Like I was asking the most mm-hmm. basic, like level 101 or even less than that questions. But when I, you know, after experience, like you start to ask some more 202 second order questions, I was starting to process these events as like, okay, so how's the business of this work? Where are they making their money? Mm-hmm. How are they making these connections? Why is this valuable? I like going to these type of events. I'm on the extroverted side of the, uh, the spectrum. So I'm, you know, big, crazy room, strangers everywhere. Like I'm pretty comfortable um, cutting it up and everything. But, you know, I would love to bring something like this to Pittsburgh. There's Thrival, there's Demo Day from one of the uh, local incubators here, but there aren't really that many events like this. And I kind of get the sense that like, I'm not the only person with that kind of taste, with that kind of like, I like this type of stuff. So I basically developed the Going Deep Summit to serve almost, um, it's more than this, but very similar to a TEDx style event. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with TED and and they've produced some absolutely amazing content, but the TEDx model of kind of sub-licensing this brand and just by the nature of having these different regional coordinators who aren't completely invested and might have 10 other projects that they're working on uh, just naturally leads to the watering down of a brand uh, versus something like the Going Deep Summit, which I've got all the skin in the game in my, I've got soul in the game, uh, was the host, was the primary promoter. It was my bottom line. I put up the first thousand dollars for the venue, all that stuff. I had to make it work. And, um, you know, it it was the type of thing where the nine speakers were all previous guests on the show. Hmm. They were nine of the most impressive people that had been on the show over the course of 200 plus episodes. And I knew that they could deliver. I just had to kind of provide the platform and the infrastructure and the, you know, put it in the box and package it. And we had 181 people show up, which was just staggering. Wow. Um, It was all based off of my podcast audience, my newsletter, uh, which my email newsletter list, which is not particularly large and less than a thousand dollars in Facebook ads. And with that, we got 181 people in the building. Um, it was profitable. I think I made you know, nothing crazy, like four, five thousand um, dollars mm-hmm. off of the event. We had a few sponsors, but it was just like the the sense of I can make this happen. I have the like self efficacy to do this. Would not have been possible without doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. And now, like I was actually talking about this today, our next one is going to be in March, and I think like the capacity of the building is like 240, 245 people. I genuinely think I I messed up by like aiming too low with the second one, which there's a whole strategy to like why that'll totally work out in the end. But you know the the efficacy to like can I hit two forty two forty five this year? 
absolutely. I did 181 my first year. Like right. it all, it all builds on itself and it's all this like slow, gentle compounding that is going to get crazy exciting here in a couple of years. It's amazing. Uh, it's, and I think it's, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, from the guy who was screaming out loud in, uh, in his car, uh, when told no to, you know, pack in a room. And, and I think it's one of those sort of, you know, the important lesson a little bit is that these inflection points are things that you can manufacture, which you have. But I think it's also that like some people sort of think that it's like magic, right? Like suddenly, like you just magically good stuff happened to you, but you know, you did a lot of episodes, you know, you to build to your next creation event that sort of has inflected you in that way. And, and I think, um, I, I tell people that one of the most magical things for me is seeing a creator do something, you know, do their podcast and then decide I want to do a book after that, or, you know, do a, do a book and then decide they want to do an event. Cause I think once you realize the power of these things, you're like, listen, I'm willing to do it because I know that there's a lot of benefit that'll help it to others as well as to me at the same time from making those investments. So I think it's really, it's neat to see for sure. And in that same vein of like us not understanding risk, there's also just the the lack of human ability to understand compounding and like the way growth happens. Because the other aspect of this, and I was on another show where we kind of talked about this a little bit, which was, you know, if you if you measured out all the hours that I spent to make the first going deep summit happen, and then that four to five thousand um, dollar resulting profit. That is like way, way, way below minimum wage. Like that is that, that is not at all a like great trade in a vacuum. There are ten thousand other things I could have done that would have if if the bottom line was money and the bottom line was that ROI that I could have done. But the only reason I can just very like like it's not like even making my handshake or anything to say we're gonna have two hundred forty people there next year is because of that 181 mm-hmm. and we pre-sold tickets. So the last thing I said at, uh, at the event, I was, you know, thanking the last speaker, signing off. And I said, by the way, the next one's going to be March 23rd, 2019. I didn't have anything else. I didn't have a speaker. I didn't have anything else like locked down. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's when it's going to be. Mark your freaking calendars. And by the way, I've got early bird tickets, blind faith tickets for the next month. And then I'm raising the prices on it. And um, I think in the first two months, I sold 31 tickets in that that month immediately after the event, just off of people who like, that was awesome. I'm down for round two. Hmm. And then um, to compare that, I think the first time in the first two months after I announced it, I announced it in August, it was going to be in January. Um, So from August through October, I think I sold 11 total tickets. And, you know, a couple of those might've been my mom and my dad, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that was not anything significant, but that's the momentum aspect of it. That's the building off of aspect. And like, you know, how, how many people at the age of 30 are going to say, yeah, I host an event and a thousand people come to it. Not too freaking many. And it would not have been possible if I hadn't over-indexed and, and worked for well below this minimum wage idea right. for an event the first time. Like that, that's actually what would set it all off. Yeah, that's the, the, the uh, if you believe Warren Buffett, the power of compounding is not only about money, but it's about, you know, all the sorts of ways when you invest, uh, it pays off long term and, and relationships and all sorts of other things in that regard. So it's a, uh, it's awesome. One last, one last thing on the sort of the podcast concept because we got tactical, which I love a little bit. Uh, go back, you know, you've since then had hundreds of thousands of people download your podcast. If you, if you remember, do you remember how many people actually listened to those first episodes you created or how many people downloaded it? I think it's always something surprising to people that how few people, um, at the start, we'll even care. But do you remember at all how many of those, you know, you said they'll do those first eight episodes. Do you, can you look back and you remember at all what they are in your head? 
I'm, I'm going to try and pull it up and see if I can find it. They, they revamped the statistics on Libsyn, so I'm actually not sure if I'm going to be able to find it or not. Mm. But I can tell you that it was double digits. Yeah. It was like 26, 37, yep. 43 type of stuff, at least in the first month. Like some of the stuff, you know, in the perpetuity of the internet, like I tell people to go back and listen to those. So they're still kind of getting those reciprocal downloads to a slow, steady pace. So it'd be hard for me to... Uh, precisely figure that out. But I can actually give you some stats that Libsyn puts out about that stuff to even contextualize this more beyond just my story. Um, Rob Walsh, the one of the VPs at Libsyn, which is like the number one service for hosting um, podcasts, they create the RSS feed that gets syndicated out to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all that stuff. He said that the average podcast median downloads per episode after 30 days, that's the key metric that any advertiser is going to look at. How many sh- how many downloads does a show get? Does an ep- a single episode get within the 30 days after it is released? That's what the advertisers have decided they care about as a metric. The average median uh, rate is 150 downloads per show. Wow! And it gets even worse if you're a business show. Mm-hmm. If you're a business show, it's closer to 100. Now, there's a, a quote that has also inspired me for uh, quite a while, more than I, I probably should admit. Um, I can't remember actually if it's Mark Twain, I'm blanking, but it goes, uh, think about how dumb the average person is and then recognize that half of the people are dumber than that. And that's a, that's a little mean, that's like a little harsh, but in terms of just who the competition is out there and the people that you can beat, I've used that as something of a motivating factor. And I use that same number to be like, you could literally be in the top half of all podcasts on planet Earth that have ever been made by getting 151 downloads for one episode. Mm-hmm. Top half. Mm-hmm. Another statistic is 50% of people never make it past their seventh episode of their podcast. They produce, mm. they don't produce more than seven. And of the 50% that do make it past episode seven, 50% of them don't make it past their 23rd episode. So once wow. again, you could be in the top quartile just by producing a 24th episode of your show. Top quartile. <laughs> you can stand on that. 24 episodes, 150 downloads an episode sounds so much more freaking attainable than, well, Tim Ferriss had 8 million downloads in three days last week or something like, something like that. Like That's just so irrelevant. So divorced from like right. your reality if you're starting from zero. That's so much more attainable. And then by the time you do that, if you do 24 episodes and actually can earn those 150 downloads, like you're actually, you actually know something. I don't know if you should necessarily be like selling yourself as the podcast king expert, whatever. Like you shouldn't necessarily go that far, but you know something. You'll, you'll have a completely different mindset, skill set, uh, understanding that's going to propel you into the next thing. Yeah. It's, we, it's one of the things that I, I say is really important. We, you know, we, when we teach people to do podcasts, we, you know, there's sort of, you know, a lot of people who are nervous about dipping their toe in the water. So that's why when we teach it, we teach them to do their first season, which is a 10 to 15 episode season um, to see. And then they'll see what they think of it. And it's, they produce it, they do it, and then they can finish and do a second season or they can decide that they've completed it and they can go forward. But I think it's, one of the things I realized the psychology of this is that people don't, and, I, and that's why I've, I fixated on your eight episodes that you did. To me, that was your first season that you did. You put that, you got that sort of sense of it, and then you decided to keep making it a thing. But I think a lot of times people get really fascinated to say like, this has to be a thing forever or not. But like, just do eight episodes. Just do that sort of thing. Get the feeling of it. Decide if you want to keep doing it. And if not, don't. Like you finished it. 
Totally agree. And and yeah, that's the other aspect of I was talking about there being the lab at Piper. Like there's also things that we tried and like, wow, not coming back to that. That didn't work. Like, you know, or, or not even that didn't work. I didn't really like that. Like that wasn't fun. I don't want to just mm-hmm. pursue that for the sake of reasons that aren't, you know, kind of core to our mission. So it, it, it makes so much sense. And, and just giving yourself permission to run those experiments. Um, one of the, one of these guys that's super inspiring to me, uh, he's an engineer here in, in Pittsburgh and he has this thing where every 30 days he just does a different challenge. He's like, I'm not going to eat any meat for the next 30 days. It doesn't mean I'm vegan and I'm like, mm. in, you know, embracing the religion of veganism or, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do a hundred pull-ups every day for a, a month. And he just like runs all these experiments and he has a really good handle on like <laughs> what, what the limits of your human body are. He, he just like <laughs> has a much better understanding of that than just about anyone else. He could, if he wanted to, if he wasn't such a great computer engineer, like go down that avenue of teaching people through that realm. Like there's so many ways people can experiment. And I, I haven't necessarily latched onto precisely what it is, or it's probably not even just one thing causing it, but like even just giving yourself to run those experiments and see what happens. is just, yeah, I don't know. I think so it's, powerful. I, I, uh, I think it's important to, like you said, to just, make life always an experiment. I mean, you know, you could stop doing the podcast tomorrow if you wanted to, and it's a success. You know, it's just an experiment that was relevant today, but, you know, evaluate what you're doing and decide whether you want to keep doing it or not. There's, you've, uh, you've succeeded in the fact that you've, you know, passed your, your original thresholds for it. And if it keeps providing value, keep providing value. So I love it. hundred percent. Uh, well, this is super helpful. I think, you know, I think it's, um, I think what's so neat about what you've shared here is that people sort of, again, may look at you today and say, gosh, this guy, 350 podcasts, he's like a podcast guy. Like, you know, I can't ever be like him. And yet, you know, like you said, eight episodes that you did on a whim and uh, almost never saw the light of day were it not for a couple lucky things. And, you know, from that kind of momentum and better and progress and growth. And here you are four years later, probably have packaged 20 years of potential growth into uh, a short window from doing a bunch of things. So it's awesome, awesome story. And I'm glad to get to, uh, to share it with you. Absolutely. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me on, Eric. It is an honor. I really enjoyed the talk that you gave at the Next Gen Summit. And I think just in terms of, you know, one more attempt to light the fire if someone doesn't have it under their butt already is like, you know, these early years are the time to do that. Like, you know, packing 20 years of learning into three years has a much over the time horizon, a much greater return if you're doing it in your 20s and your early 30s than, you know, later on down the line. So now is the time. Now is the time to squeeze that fruit. Hashtag compounding knowledge. <laughs> That's our, that should, that'll be your book title someday. Hashtag compounding knowledge. I give it, it's yours. Amen. I love it. I love it. Uh, this is awesome, man. Thank you so much. And uh, for those of you who are looking for a great podcast to listen to, Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Uh, come check out the, the summit in March and anything else we should plug for you before we get out of here. Uh, be kind, run experiments. Love it. All right, man, on that, be kind, run experiments. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>